Welcome to That Anthro Podcast, the podcast dedicated to anthropology. Together, each week, we will be learning from the experts and researchers that are researching our pasts and today's problems. My name is Gabriella Campbell, and I'll be interviewing a new guest each week to bring to you the latest and greatest in anthropology, based right here out of Santa Barbara. Join me for weekly episodes, whether you're an anthropology buff or looking to learn something new. Welcome to That Anthro Podcast. And now, a word about the sponsor of our podcast, Anchor. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, Gabby. Thanks so much for chatting with me today about all things anthropology for my Anthro Day episode. So, um, Anthro Day is being put on by the American Association of Anthropologists, which um, is an organization that I partner with. I'm part of their podcast library, among with many other wonderful podcasters. And so the goal of Anthro Day is really to promote anthropology to the public, uh, to help encourage young students to learn about various careers and majors in anthropology, to discuss the importance of diversity of role models in the field, and overall just to create a really fun community event on February 18th for Anthro Day. So uh, for the beginning of this episode, I've invited fellow anthropology podcaster Gabby LaPera, who is the host and creator of the Anthrobiology podcast on, and a fellow anthro enthusiast. So Gabby, could you give our guests a little background info on yourself? Absolutely. First, hello. It's very nice to see you. Um, I started the Anthrobiology podcast, uh, but I don't actually work in anthropology anymore. I currently work in fintech as a content strategist slash editor, which content strategist is kind of a made up job, but I essentially make sure that the articles that my company puts out perform really well. But before that, I actually went to undergrad and I got my master's in anthropology with a specialty in biological anthropology. And I truly, when I first went to grad school, thought that I was going to get my PhD in anthropology. But um, I realized that that academia wasn't necessarily for me. And so I needed to get another job ASAP, which is how I ended up in the job that I have now. So once I felt like I was established enough and secure enough in my career that I could focus on other things, that's when I started the Anthropology Podcast. Great. And um, when you started Anthropology, what were some of kind of your goals going into it? And then um, have you been able to achieve those goals? That is a very good question. So the reason I started the Anthrobiology podcast was kind of twofold. The first was completely personal. I really missed anthropology. I missed the discussions. I missed missed learning things. I missed the classroom environment. And I realized that the only way for me to kind of have access to these things in a substantive way was to forcefully insert myself via my podcast. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten to talk to people that I never in a million years would have gotten to talk to 
even when I was just like a regular master's student, like I had no business talking to someone who did evolutionary biology because that's just not what I studied. Mm -hmm. um, so I've gotten to talk to so many cool people and that was a big, big part of it for me. But then the second half of it for me was that I realized that every time I talked to people, I'd be like, oh yeah, I studied anthropology or, uh, oh, here's this cool fact that came from an anthropologist and people were like, what's anthropology? And I was like, well, let me yes. tell you, it's a four field discipline in the United States and other countries. And I'd go off on my little spiel, but I realized that a lot of the things that interest people about anthropology are like very, very common, but people don't know that anthropology exists. And that makes mm -hmm. me very sad. And so I wanted to make a show that made anthropology accessible. I do think that I've made a show that is accessible for at least undergraduates and people who are already interested in science. I don't, I think that this is like one of the challenges with all science shows is I wonder how accessible is my show truly to someone who doesn't know that much about science. Um, I also know on the other side of that, that probably someone who's not interested in science at all is probably never going to listen to my show. That's a good point. So I think you I do, all, I think you also do a good job of providing that context. I think uh, in both of our, any uh, science podcast, you know, you can really go into the nitty gritty, but I think what we try to focus on is those overall themes, uh, niche areas of interest. And then if we need to, you know, providing the context for the listeners so that they can understand that area of interest. But I think the nice thing about having experts on is that they almost sometimes they explain their own field for you and you're learning along with the listeners as they're explaining this complex topic. So I think it's really about, you know, publicizing it, but in a digestible way. For sure. I think, I think that a trap that a lot of people in academia fall into is thinking that their area of study is so complex that no one could possibly understand it without years of study. And I think like, sure, if you get into like the really fine details, that might be true. But if you're not able to explain to people what your research is, then people are going to have a hard time understanding why that's valuable. And secondly, I think that most research is totally understandable as long as you give people the vocab to understand it. Okay, so my question for you is, what interests you about anthropology so much to keep you making a podcast about it to keep you interested in it, to keep you wanting to talk about it? What draws you in? There's this book called The Story of the Human Body by Dan Lieberman out of Harvard. And I think that that starts to get at the heart of why anthropology is so exciting and fascinating to me, which is that anthropology is really the story of us as people. Um, if you want like kind of a flippant way to look at it, it's kind of the same drive that has people take Cosmo quizzes that are like, what drink are you, you know? Or like, if you were a book, what book would you be? It's the same, it's the same thing. It's like, we want to know more, or I want to know more about ourselves. Why are we the way we are? This is actually something that has been infuriating to some of my managers and colleagues is that people tell me things and I say, why? Why is it that way? I want to know. <laughs> um, and anthropology is a field that really goes out of its way to try and answer those questions. And it does it in a multifaceted approach, which I think is the best part about it. Because I think a lot of people are answering questions from a single perspective. 
right? And they do like a really, really deep dive on just like the cellular biology of the thing. And like, sure, like there's those components, but then there's all of these other outside external components that interact. And I think anthropology mm -hmm. as a field does such a good job of studying those interactions or tries to do a good job mm -hmm. of studying those yeah. interactions. So yeah, that's, that's why. <laughs> I think that's a very compelling reason. And I think a very honest one. We want to learn more about the human experience. We want to understand what makes us human. And I think that, that, that question of, you know, you're saying it annoys people when you ask why, I think that's just an indication that you were trained as an anthropologist, because <laughs> when, you know, that is, that is the main question you're trying to always find out why, or at least be able to um, come up with an educated guess as to why, especially like if you're talking about an an ancient population with like maybe an archaeological person but I think that that's a valuable uh characteristic of people who enter science is having that mindset of wanting to know why and how and you know how to replicate the process how to investigate data I think it's really cool I think I think once you know the answer to why you can actually answer more applied questions right so like why do why are humans bipedal um, that helps us answer like what was our evolutionary environment like, mm -hmm. which could help us answer what are some of the problems with bipedalism, like what are things that we can do to address in our modern environment. Um, you know, like I think you can get these practical applications from asking questions, of, from asking why from like a more theoretical perspective and just working your way down. Definitely. What would you consider to be a major issue in the field today and one that we could work on fixing on our public platforms that we both have um, as podcasters? What are topics we need to be talking about, you know, to incite change? For sure. I think one of the most important topics, and I don't think this has changed at all, is what graduate school and academia are really like. Mm -hmm. I think we do a really bad job of preparing undergrads for the reality of graduate school um, and for the reality of politics that they're going to face coming out or in graduate school and coming out of graduate school. I think it's really a pity because I think that some of these things that are kind of ingrained in the way that the system currently exists, I think that some of that actually explains some of the diversity, equity, and inclusion problems that we see in anthropology. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that a lot of these problems just because they're not discussed, because they're not brought out in the open, it, it like when someone experiences a negative outcome, like they feel ashamed, they feel like it's their mm -hmm. fault when it's really the way that the system is created. Um, I just want, I want people to feel more comfortable and happier. I think that if people were really feeling safe and like able to express their ideas that we would have better discipline overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think creating that safe space to share and to collaborate, like you were talking about, is the best thing that we can do. And, um, you know, making sure that we're promoting equitable collaboration and, um, you know, uh, di diversifying our faculty and students at different universities, I think is super important. Um, I know personally, my own podcast has made me realize the importance of having female role models in ANTH and STEM for young women. And I'm really happy that personally, I can make an impact and a change there and focus on myself being a role model and putting out episodes with people that I 
learned from people that I found to be, you know, standing out in the field, uh, inspirational, and then all the content creating, whether it's on social media or in person, interviewing a guest, having it be kind, community-based, and really inquisitive rather than uh, an expose, you know, trying to really focus on what makes all these different amazing researchers in the field different. And then also, you know, providing, like I said, female role models for young women who might have never heard of anthropology and are really, could be really interested in having a career in it later on. Yeah, I really hope that eventually my show becomes a resource in kind of anthro 101 classes where people can be like, if you're interested in biological anthropology, listen to the show and see if it's something that you're like have a long-term interest in or if it's just like kind of a passing fancy. Mm-hmm. I think that would be so cool. Yeah, I definitely think that it can. And the nice thing about podcasts is, you know, say you stop this in five years, it's still something that'll be out there for people to find and people to listen to. I think our podcast kind of will be able to grow a new audience throughout time. Yeah, definitely. I I think the other benefit of podcasts in particular is that they feel a lot more personal Mm -hmm. in general than social media or like blog posts where it feels like a very isolated experience when you're actually listening to someone's voice it can feel like you actually know them. I know that happens to me. I very yeah. embarrassingly walked up to uh, the host of a podcast that I love, um, of Planet Money, at an economics conference. And I was like, hello. <laughs> and she was like, hi. And she was so hi. gracious to me. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I know I don't know you. I feel like I know you. I know this is weird, but hello. <laughs> um, and I know that if I feel that, it, my guess is a lot of other people feel that way too. I've had now two people that are listeners of the podcast reach out to want to come on as guests. And I just think it's so cool. People that have just organically found it and fallen in love with it and just want to be a part of it. I think that's a really, really cool thing when you don't necessarily seek it out. It kind of just comes to you. It really shows you you're like, oh yeah, I am doing this really fun thing and people are finding it and people are relating to it, which is obviously the ultimate goal. I hope you enjoyed listening to Gabby LaPera. I would highly, highly recommend that you check out her podcast, Anthrobiology. So when I was thinking of what I wanted to do for this Anthro Day episode, I really wanted to create a love letter to anthropology and interview several people about what had been a most impactful experience for them and why they loved anthropology, what kept them so engaged and so in love with their research and the field. And so I asked various people similar questions. And so next you're going to hear from Sarah Dugan from Anthrodish Podcast, John Johnson from the Santa Barbara Natural History Museum, who has been an anthropologist for over 45 years and is still practicing and creating research, and Nikki Torno, an undergraduate anthropology major at UC Santa Barbara. Hi, my name is Sarah Dugnan. I'm the producer and host of Anthrodish Podcast. Uh, and for me, the most impactful moment I had in anthropology was um, creating or co-creating a, a water use and health survey with uh, an Indigenous nation uh, and using and being able to use those results to impact a real change. And so we we had um, uh, we had the data to show how water insecure a lot of households were within this particular nation. Um, And we were able to use those results to 
create real impact um, during the beginning of the COVID pandemic where the uh, community band council elected to provide free water to citizens for um, about a month. Um, and so for me, that was like the first time where the work that I had done with my teammates created um, like a tangible result that actually helped households. Um, and so I think the reason I love anthropology is because you can absorb all this theory and learn and learn and learn and then you know be able to create and use it as a tool to impact real change um, especially as environmental crises continue um, being able to use it for for the better I think is what makes me stay in love with anthropology what do you love most about being an anthropologist or what has been the most impactful experience you've had as an anthropologist? Well, I, I love uh, being an anthropologist just because it's, gosh, I don't know how to even answer that. And it's just part of my, my DNA right now, you know, just being an anthropologist. But I love the, the, um, the finding out new things. I mean, human nature is endlessly interesting you know, the cultural behavior of people and the past and present. And being an anthropologist, you get to explore that and learn all about that. So I guess that's really, in essence, you know, why I'm an anthropologist. I find it fascinating. The, the most impactful thing that happened to me was actually accidental in a way as an anthropologist. And we haven't talked about this yet. Anyway, uh, when I was just hired at the museum, I was contacted by the uh, archaeologist who had just been hired at Channel Islands National Park. And he was interested in a discovery that had been made by, back in 1959, by our curator of anthropology at that time, Phil Orr. And Phil Orr had been doing research on Santa Rosa Island, uh, studying the archaeology on Santa Rosa Island and pygmy mammoths that were out there. You know, he was both a paleontologist and an archaeologist. And um, he discovered at the sidewall of a place called Arlington Canyon, a place called Arlington Springs, he found a human femur poking from the side of wall of the canyon, 37 feet below the existing ground surface, right? And he realized that this was something amazing. It, it was in the same formation where he'd been finding pygmy mammoth bones. So he um, left it in situ and he organized a conference and got the leading anthropologists, archeologists, geographers of the day out there on Santa Rosa Island to verify that this, these, this bone was in situ uh, it was not the result of recent erosion from the higher up, you know, at the ground surface, towards the ground surface. And, um, and then he removed it embedded in a block of earth with a plaster jacket around it. In those days, they didn't have a way of radiocarbon dating bone collagen, right? That had, they, they couldn't have gotten an accurate date from, from bone at that time. So then if you fast forward to the 1990s, when we began this research, 
there'd been a lot of developments in radiocarbon dating and bone chemistry analysis. And so uh, we, we now had the ability to just change, uh, date you know, small amounts of carbon using linear accelerator radiocarbon dating, AMS dating. And so um, I was contacted by the archeologist at Channel Islands National Park in 1989. And he said, how about if we find where those remains are located in that plaster jacketed block of earth and we use one of these new techniques, you know, to date the bone. And so I had no, and you know, I, I not presupposed this was going to be research I'd be involved in, but he had end of the year money to spend. And so he, he gave it to us to do this research and uh, we got different labs using different techniques. And finally, we worked with Dr. Thomas Stafford, uh, university, associated with the University of Colorado at the time. And he looked, he did this kind of purification procedure where he just gets collagenous protein. And he, he looks at the amino acid profile, makes sure the amino acids have the profile of, of human bone collagen. And uh, anyway, it, turned out that we had a 13,000 year old individual. So all of a sudden, you know, this is now the oldest dated human skeletal remains in North America here. And uh, we then got grants to go back out. We had a benefactor that, that contributed money. So we did a whole six field seasons of research at the Arlington Springs site. And I'm still writing that up. <laughs> but uh, we've gotten, you know, more than 70 radiocarbon dates. We have a whole, looked at the whole stratigraphic sequence. We've corroborated the age that we got on the human bone, you know, through our Bayesian statistical analysis of all the radiocarbon dates and um, of the different layers there. And so it's been very exciting because it's, it's, it's um, the earliest evidence we have in our region of people in our region and also the, I'd say, the earliest evidence we have on the, in California, coastal California, of people in our region. Now we do know that probably people here earlier than 13,000 years mm -hmm. ago, but it's, it still has the status uh, to this day of, of being the oldest skeletal remains that have been identified. And have you found more than just the femur since? In, in our research there, we found uh, other cultural indicators. We found little tiny uh, flakes from from tool, stone tool maintenance, you know, mm -hmm. flakes that are, there's no chert found in the surrounding area. So we know that that had to be brought in. Yeah. It's in the same layer as the human bone. Personally, we haven't found any stone tools. Uh, the bones themselves, there's only three bones <laughs> of this individual. Um, but the rest had, had probably washed out okay. to sea or washed away. And, uh, but um, they're um, what can I say? Yeah, that's all that is there. The bones appear not to have been in the primary place where the inhumation took place mm -hmm. if it was, or where the person died. They, they appeared to have been washed into like a little uh, um, a stream channel, you know, or gully. And uh, so they were already redeposited that uh, they were discovered well, and got buried over 37 feet deep, you know. Oh.
Yeah, and they were in association with the pygmy mammoths. Were they living there at the same time? Yes, we 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 actually that was a we published on that that there the most recent date we have from bone collagen from pygmy mammoths is thirteen thousand years ago. It can coincides exactly with oh. the date we have for humans. So they overlapped a little bit. Mm-hmm. We suspect that they were probably hunting the pygmy mammoths. We don't know that for sure. Some evidence is presented in favor of that is debated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, probably easier to hunt than regular mammoths. <laughs> yeah, and there, and we know at that same time period, so this is a Clovis time period. Mm-hmm. So on the mainland, they're, they're hunting full-size Columbian mammoths. Yeah. Kill sites, right, in, in uh, some parts of North America. So we know that they're uh, hunting these Pleistocene megafauna on the mainland. And if they get up to the island, there's these little pygmy mammoths going yeah. around here. You know, they, they, their days are numbered. Yeah. <laughs> now you're going to hear from one of my friends, Nikki Torno. And we've been working collectively for about a year now on the Montecito Remains Recovery Project. And it really has been such an impactful experience for me as well, because it's really helping our community, our immediate community, and being able to use our training in such an impactful way to really impact our community is such a special thing. And Nikki touches on it. But I do want to reiterate that for me as well, you know, I grew up in the Santa Barbara area. And so being able to have my first forensics project be for a community member, you know, a young boy that was lost during the Santa Barbara mudslides is very, very special. And it's really prompted me to want to engage further with our immediate Santa Barbara community, whether it's anthropology or just in general uh, supporting our community. So you know, coming up in March, I'm actually going to be initiating a fundraising campaign for some local charities. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And now you'll hear from Nikki. Hi, my name is Nikki, and I'm a second year biological anthropology major at UCSB. Even though I've known that I wanted to study not only anthropology, but possibly the forensic applications for a really long time, I think the most impactful moment will always be getting to work on my first field project. So for almost the past year now, I've been honored to work with Dr. Kieran on the Montecito Forensic Human Remains Recovery Project. And not only was it just refreshing to actually be out in the field and getting to apply what we've been learning instead of working just at a desk all day, it was very humbling and inspiring to recognize that everything we've been working for or wanting to learn, wanting to try, has the power to impact not only change in the understanding of the world, but actual justice or closure for families or people. I'd like to end this episode by reading a passage from Sue Black's book called All That Remains, a really lovely uh, story about life and death and her work uh, as an anthropologist. She says, anatomy teaches you many things beyond the workings of the corporeal form. It teaches you about life and death humanity and altruism, respect and dignity, about teamwork, the importance to detail, practice, patience, calmness, and manual dexterity. I think that this statement by Sue Black really applies to all of the fields of anthropology and how it not only teaches us about history, life, and death, 
it teaches us about so many more things. And being an anthropologist means collaboration. It means teamwork. It means digging in the dirt or collecting data, collecting interviews, engaging with the human subject, whether it is ancient or modern. Anthropology is this really unique transect in science where you actually get to connect with the people that you're working with because you are studying humans and the human experience. So my last note is that anthropology is wonderful. And if it's something that you are considering pursuing higher education in, choosing it as a major in college, or truly just taking it as a fun supplemental class because it interests you, I think is wonderful. And I would highly recommend anyone And I hope that you continue to listen to that anthro podcast and maybe that can scratch your anthro bug. But for those few of you that do listen to the podcast on the day that it's released, I know there are some of you. This February 18th, uh, this Thursday, the day this episode is being released, I will be on a panel of fellow anthropologists for Anthro Day. I will have the link in the bio if I literally have a lot. So for those of you that listen to the episode on the day that it's released this February 18th, uh, 2021, I will actually be participating for Anthro Day. in a live stream with several other anthropologists talking about increasing the visibility of anthropology in the field, including Amy Santi of Anthropologizing, Phil Surleys of Human Science, Matt Arts of anthro to ux and Adam Glamwell of This Anthro Life. It's going to be really fun. We have a lot of topics lined up talking about engaging with Instagram, podcasting, social media, blogging, and really how we are all individually trying to bring anthropology to the forefront of uh, the, to the public. So yeah, check it out. Thanks for listening. We'll have another episode next week, next Wednesday. You won't want to miss it. I'm so excited for this episode. It's a great, great interview about um, anti-racism efforts and how we can better support people of color. So look forward to that. Thanks for listening. Mm